I am Citizen 44. Okay, uh... Yeah, you have to have it close. Oh, like this? Yeah, like Ooh, that. that's very exciting. It is. <laughs> is this a, reli- a religious... Is this a religious... This is a religious experience for you, yes. <laughs> okay. Are you interviewing me? I'm just sitting here. Would you like to ask me some questions? I can ask you. Go ahead. I don't know. Why? I, don't. I know that's your favorite question. My wife's looking at me. Mom, did you enjoy Jeopardy? I did. Good. I don't watch Jeopardy. You yet. do. You see? No, you don't I really look at it. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> we have to keep it really nice because you have nice people on the show. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 63. We got a race car driver on the show today, living right there in Ashland, Oregon, with all us other Ashland, Oregonian type people. We got Derek DeBoer here, well-respected professional businessman in the community, and we're lucky to have him on the show. His wife, Brooke, was on the show several months ago. Super nice lady. This is a family of givers. They're spreading their wealth. I don't just mean monetarily. They're living it. He's a pro race car driver. That's what he does. His wife's making a show called Fast Life. It's a show about him being a race car driver and all the stuff they do. It's a cool show. It's on Amazon Prime. No spoiler alert, not spoiling, no spoiling. I don't like when people do that to me. If I don't want to see the trailer, I don't want to hear about it from anybody. If you liked it, great, that's awesome. But I don't want to know everything because then I don't want to go. I'm here in LA with the Costanzas and it's good. Of course, I'm speaking about my parents. I'm with them here in Encino, California in their uh, palatial condominium. Is that what this place is? It's a big floor plan. It's like an open, cool place, mostly open, giant living room, cool kitchen with new tile now. They're stoked. And uh, so I'm here with my parents. I'm probably going to head back to Ashland next week. I don't really know what's going on, man. I don't know what to tell you. I'm looking for something to do here in L.A. I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't really matter. Whatever happens, happens. It's going to be good. Whatever it is, it'll be good. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's challenging to my business here and there, it's still good. That's what we got going on here. I'm looking for things to do here in LA. I got a couple feelers out, some some activity is occurring. I wanna be able to be bi-stately, bi-state, state by state, go from this state to the state where my kids are in Oregon there in Ashland so I can get everything that I want. Sometimes I'm given things that I don't think that I want, but there's something I need. I didn't think that I needed that, but then it was given to me that maybe I didn't know that I needed, that I don't really want, but I should have. So there's that. We got Derek DeBoer here, professional race car driver dude, Fast Life. That's about Derek, his racing, their family, how that's all integrated. Amazon Prime television show, driving that Porsche real fast in the turns killing it, doing it. Here he is.
I'm here with Derek DeBoer, local legend, race car driver, heir to the big Chevy dealership here. That all sounds fairly accurate, slightly overwhelming, but um, kind of cool. Is that over there on 99? Yeah, my home base at TC Chevy over there. My dad and I, and just a, a really great team and group of employees here that make it all happen. How long has your dad been in the auto business? I'm the third generation in our family in the auto industry, so it's just kind of been a part of our history. My mom and dad were both raised here. My dad's been very politically involved. He's currently finishing his job as a state senator. He was the mayor here in Ashland, and I'm not going to try to fill those shoes. I'm comfortable in the, in the dealership and the race car stuff and uh, hopefully doing some good around the valley too, but politics is not my thing. There's plenty of people doing that kind of work. Do what you do best, race cars and represent your family well. Absolutely, it's a, it's a fun job. You know, we've been blessed to be born into this family and live in this great community. And, you know, certainly opportunities like I've had in racing don't come out of nowhere. And it's tied to what I've learned running our family business and being in the auto business, you know, just being a part of this family and community. Your fabulous bride was in here and did a show and talked about her involvement with Fast Life, which is the TV show that she's created and produced with you and your girls which has become a successful Amazon Prime television series. Yeah, I definitely got lucky with that one. I, I think you could say I married up and have an awesome wife and partner at my side. And for her to have come up with this concept and to be kind of doing our dreams in parallel has been pretty awesome. And if you go back to Fast Life season one and watch it, you kind of see the whole beginning and how it happened. I would not be sitting in a race car today if it weren't for her. I mean, probably three months into being married, literally she asked, what passion have you not chased in your life yet that I need to know about? And I said, I wanted to be a professional race car driver. And she goes, great, let's figure it out. And she signed me up for racing school at Skip Barber down at uh, Laguna Seca. And that was 20 years ago. That was my first time sitting in a race car. That's outrageous. How long have you been married now? It'll be 20 years, this uh, December 26th. That's unreal. And they do say behind every good man is a good woman. Absolutely. So you've been professionally racing how long now? Well, like I said, I mean, I started at the hobby level or kind of paying your dues 20 years ago. And this was my fifth season with the Racers Group, which is the professional team that I started driving for back in 2013. At the time that I joined the team, they were just finishing a 15-year spell with Porsche. They had just become the factory Aston Martin program for North America, and that's kind of what created a open door for me to walk into. It was just a time of change for them. I was finally at that level that professional racing was a, a door I could be knocking on, and just everything kind of lined up and was perfect. Five years later, we're still racing together, and we're great friends with the whole team and the team owner and his wife and daughters, and just everything is awesome. So we did Aston Martins there for uh, four years, and last year switched back to their roots with Porsche. So it's been full circle. And you've had some ups and downs, everything from being stiffed by fake people who wanted to endorse you to wrecking a car. Absolutely. I've uh, gotten the, the crash course, so to speak, in race car driving and things uh, that seem too good to be true sometimes are. And uh, it sounds like you, you must have watched some of the episodes, you know, the whole sponsor fraud situation and how demoralizing that was. I mean, it was a really, really tough hurdle. But at the same time, I think it was kind of a blessing. It really tested us to see how bad you wanted it, 
tested relationships. I mean, that could have been a ending relationship with lots of drivers and a team owner, but we just all huddled together and worked through it. And I think we're stronger and better for it. Kind of a qualifying lap for you, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, a really rough one. I mean, it even forced us into relationships with the racing series that if everything just went along smoothly, I might not have had to dig in that deep or dig in that hard. And, you know, to, to this date, you know, both series that I've raced in really support us. They they love Brooke's project. You know, I think Brooke really saw a need in racing there that's being hopefully filled with the show. Racing is not as popular here in the U.S. as it is overseas. And when we got to go race in France, we kind of saw that firsthand. And yeah, just the fanfare is totally different. I mean, uh, you know, when we're in Europe, it's just a way of life there. It's like what football and baseball is here in the U.S. Brooke was still in the in the middle of putting Fast Life together, but she saw that there needs to be another way that racing is portrayed here in the U.S. There's other people that would love to know more about it. They just don't know that they want to know more. And so she's presenting it in a different way. And Brooke's really strong at telling stories. That's part of what her video production has been all about. You know, she started working with nonprofits uh, such as Hearts and Vines, telling their story and communicating a message. And it's just something she's really talented at. And when I started getting into racing, we found that friends and family and acquaintances, because they knew us and they knew other sides of the story, all of a sudden they would kind of find themselves paying attention to racing. And I think that's when the light bulb kind of went off in Brooke's mind of, there's a lot more people like that. And if we can get them involved with a story, they're gonna become race fans too. How much has that built your fan base by having the show and your exposure? And what has it meant for your racing team? Well, it's definitely made it feel very meaningful and worthwhile. You know, one of the things that Brooke and I were challenged with, with racing is just how much goes into it, how much time goes into it, how much money, how much effort from other people. And it's all really focused on one person. It's all focused on the driver. So there's lots of ways that the sport feels pretty selfish, but then you look at the people that are involved and how much passion they have. The mechanic isn't there because he has to be there. He's there because he absolutely loves it. And, you know, the marketing people with the team, I mean, there's probably 50 people that make our racing team go around. When you start to get fans and other people paying attention, especially some of those that are paying attention because of the story and not necessarily because they're a lifelong racing fan, and some of the, the compliments and messages that we get of people that are now chasing their dream because they saw this show and saw that it can happen and it encouraged them. And I know for both Brooke and I, that's what makes it very special and, and worthwhile because it's a lot of work. We've been lucky to have some really strong supporters and good sponsors and friends with the team that, that help with a lot of that. But the time investment and effort is just huge. And I know you had a chance to talk with Brooke and you probably know what a perfectionist she is. I mean, she has just worked herself completely to the bone getting this idea to the point that it's at. She was a one-person team. I've got the easy job. I just had to get comfortable with being on camera and her following me around filming everything and then, then driving a race car every once in a while. She's the one up till three in the morning in the editing room and weaving it all together to tell the story that people are getting to enjoy. You have three daughters? Oh yeah, there's some other stuff we do on the side. Yeah, what about all that? <laughs> what about the whole family thing? How do you guys even have time to get together and have quality, quiet time? We're still working on that. Now that season two is launched, I think Brooke's finally being able to take a little bit of a breath. She actually had a health issue this year that I think was completely tied to how hard she was working and the stress involved. So it's nice to see it at kind of a point that we can pause a little bit, let the show do what it's going to do, and hopefully it paints a clear picture to what the next steps are. 
When did season two come out? December 1st, it went live on Amazon Prime. Well, I'm excited because I've been waiting for it. Give us some highlights of what this season's about. It's a really nice progression from where Brooke left off. And you know, part of it is her finding the way that the storytelling goes. You know, I'd say the production quality and editing and everything is levels above what season one was. And it's kind of when racing really started to kind of hit its stride for me and with the team. And, you know, I had a really interesting and fun, exciting new teammate that came aboard that year. I got to experience my first professional head-to-head win that year. So you'll see that in season two. It almost gets you to current. And that's one of the things that Brooke and I are struggling with now is like, where do we go next? You had a crash. Did they show that in season two? That's not in season two, because season two was already in the can and in Amazon's hands almost at that point oh, when the crash happened. And so was the crash? At Virginia International Raceway. And that would have been in May of this year. It was our second round of the season in the new Porsche. So it was new season, new car, new teammate. Derek, what did you do to that car? It got totaled. It was not my fault. Of course not. <laughs> if you want an excuse for anything in life, come ask a race car driver because we're filled with them. Nothing is ever our fault. It does ultimately always come down to decisions and your fault though. Ordinarily, we're used to qualifying up at the front of the field. Typically at the front of the field is the more savvy group of drivers, let's say. I'm searching for the right word. And uh, we made a mistake in qualifying. Something happened. There was a miscommunication. Our tire pressures weren't right, etc and the car was nearly undrivable, so we found ourselves starting the race at the back. So um, you were with knuckleheads and trying to cruise through that? Well, you said it, um, but yeah, something like that. <laughs> so we had chance to get the car fast like we knew it could be and had a really great start. I think I had made almost 10 positions by the time we'd got to turn five. And then in Virginia, there's a very famous set of uphill S's that when you take them right, you're completely flat on the throttle all the way through them and up the hill and making a pass and going under the bridge, the gentleman that I passed um, decided to tap me in the right rear with his left front and it just kind of pit maneuvered me, it just spun me right there and about 130 miles an hour backwards into the wall. How did you make out? You know what, I didn't even have a bruise, I wasn't even sore, which was just a testament to how safe these cars are. Some of the great things about racing are the technology transfer and things that have been learned on the racetrack that translate into the cars that we drive on the road now. I mean, that's why that car was able to take that kind of a hit and me just uh, dust off and walk out of it. The cars are just designed to absorb that just like our street cars are. And a lot of things went perfectly right. You know, I, I hit the wall at a good angle and there wasn't another car close by to then hit me again. I mean, there's a million things that could have made it worse, but it all panned out well. And the only thing that it cost was one race car. It did really put a wrinkle into our race season, but believe it or not, race cars typically do carry insurance. The challenge this year was, it was a transition year for both the team and for Porsche as a manufacturer. It was the last year that this particular model of Porsche would be running in the series, so we didn't invest in or have backup cars. Like this season moving forward, we're gonna have a whole fleet of the brand new cars, so you have an easy backup to complete the weekend or be ready for the next week. In this case, with the car being unrepairable, we had to have a whole new chassis sent over from Germany. So all of that takes time and it caused us to miss the next round, which ultimately takes you out of any championship odds that you would have. So it changed our race season a bit, but everybody persevered and our sponsors and friends were understanding and we got the car rebuilt and ultimately uh, ended up finishing the season strong. It sounds like the whole thing's a learning experience and an opportunity to get it right the next time. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything in racing has been, and it's been a really healthy thing to be involved with. I think everything from the way that you run your business or the way that you put effort into a program like Fast Life TV has been a lot of its lessons that I think Brooke and I have learned in the world of racing and a lot of the really great limitless thinkers that we get to be around. And it's all been good and a lot of good examples and good people to look up to. So how do you stay focused? What kind of regiment do you have to stay in physical, emotionally intelligent shape? This is all about reaction time and making good decisions. How do you stay in the game? Interesting that you ask that. A lot of people don't understand how much of a physical sport it is. You know, I've had people say, oh, racing isn't a sport. And I've been lucky enough to do a lot of different sports. And I will say that it is the most physically demanding sport that I've been a part of. So that is a huge focus. Through Fast Life, we were approached by a motorsports trainer. He's a professional trainer in the world of motorsports. He trains a lot of the current Formula One drivers, Indy drivers. His name's Simon Hayes. His company's Performance Physics. And he writes a very, very specific workout regimen for me that's got a little mix of everything. But ultimately, you're in the gym or out doing something else six days a week. He's got a nutritionist within his company that works with us and a very specific diet. She does let me live by the 80-20 rule. So you might see me out at dinner here in Ashland enjoying a piece of cake or a glass of wine here or there. But uh, for the most part, it's very healthy living and very specific eating, especially the week of and building up to a race even more important when it's a big endurance race. Something like the 25 hours of Thunder Hill that I just got done with or the 24 hours of Daytona, there's a real buildup to properly fueling and hydrating for an event like that. How do you stay in check with things are going on at home? You've got three daughters, you know, there's things happening that's related to family and then you got to get out on the track. I'm very lucky in that way. You know, Brooke understands that. My three daughters understand that, but life does happen and everything isn't perfect all the time. One of the parts that I think I really love and enjoy the most about racing is exactly that. The fact that you have to have 100% focus. The stakes are too high not to. And because of that, one of my most relaxing places in my life is in a race car going 200 miles an hour because there's not room to think about anything else. You are just 100% in the moment and have to shut off whatever happened at the moment before you shut the door on the car and go out to do your deal. Yeah, that's your zone. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Netflix had a special on the life of Pixar, which was fantastic. And one of their most recent grouping of movies was Cars, which is all about race car driving. Right. And I'm wondering if that type of entertainment has shed more light on auto racing as a sport. And do you see maybe younger people coming into an appreciation for what you do? Yeah, I would think so for sure. I mean, it just engages that young audience in a way that racing did for me when I was that age. I mean, that's when it started. When I was three and four years old, it was all about the Indy 500 on TV. Those drivers were my superheroes. And that lived in the back of my head until Brooke asked me that question. So yeah, I think movies like Cars, I think the video game industry has been a big part of it as well. There's actually a lot of drivers and specific programs that have been created around video gamers. There are people that I've raced against and with on the track that had never even touched foot in a race car until that season. And they got some kind of an opportunity through the video games that they'd been playing, which is just wild to think of that translating, but it does. I spend a lot of time on the simulator, especially if it's for a track I've never been to. There's some parts of it that you can't duplicate, that seat of the pants feel that you get in the race car, but 
the visuals and learning a track and you know things that take a lot of money and time for the team and the car to actually go do you can do that part on the simulator there are tracks that i can be within a few tenths of a second of what i'll do in reality on the simulator so it's an amazing piece of technology to be able to use so you're creating your muscle memory ahead of time preparing for turns and changes in speed and and how you're going to be shifting and doing what you're going to do in the simulator and it pretty much carries over that closely absolutely that way you don't have to waste that whole first hour that you're at the track i mean virginia is a great example that's one of the tracks i'd never been to so i probably spent 50 hours on the simulator building up to that race weekend when i got there it was all familiar let's go back they didn't have any of this technology. They got out on a track with a car and knew as much as they could about the car itself and probably had never been on a track like that. How has racing changed? Yeah, those guys were amazing. Those guys were the warriors and pioneers for sure because we have it pretty easy now. Like we just talked about, we've got simulators, we've got instant data in our hands. When we get out of the car, we're plugging in our laptops and we're sitting down and comparing throttle traces and braking points and brake pressure and all of that stuff that, well, you used to be able to lie about as a race car driver too. You could come in and say, hey, the car is not handling very good. I was flat around turn six and it just was misbehaving. And now they can pull up the data and go, oh, actually, Derek, uh, you lifted 50% and that's what made the rear of the car come out. It's like, dang it. <laughs> ah, so the technology can keep you honest. <laughs> Absolutely keeps you honest. And it's just a huge learning tool because, you know, for somebody like me, it helps a lot to have something that factual in front of you and you're trying to figure out how to get around this particular turn and you wonder if you can go flat out but you don't want to take the chance of totaling the car or hurting yourself or something and you can overlay the data with another driver that goes yeah i was flat around that turn and you can see that it actually did work and and there you go you can find those little tenths and hundredths of a second that you're fighting for and have a very factual way to to go get it there were eras where the cars were way more horsepower, way harder to drive. But when you really look at it, all of that is just a way to have a lower lap time. And the series and the rules will continue to try to limit the cars and the manufacturers. They'll make us use smaller displacement motors and less horsepower, yet we're finding ways to still do faster lap times. So it's just how the cars go about the track now is just totally different. So there's more strategy in that way. Every nook and cranny of the vehicle, every bolt, everything about it could change its performance on the track. Absolutely, it's amazing to see behind the scenes what really goes into it. And it has been also educational. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a creature of habit. You can ask Brooke about that. I don't like change a whole lot. So my time with TRG and with Aston Martin especially that kind of being my entry into professional sports car racing, I was really having a hard time with the change of brand. I was so invested into the Aston brand and I knew the car like the back of my hand. I knew what it was gonna do before it did it. And then to switch to Porsche was challenging for me and it couldn't be a more different car. They're both very good, they're both very effective, but they go about the track very differently. But it was also really interesting to work with the two different manufacturers and the way that they handle things. And not that one is better than another, it's just very different. With Porsche, things are so diligent and thought out and perfect and precise. And the type of support that we have from them when we show up at the track, it's out of this world. It's pretty impressive. So you were born in Ashland? I was. What year was that? 1975. What was going on around here in 1975? I think it was pretty much the same. 
No, maybe not. That cannot be. <laughs> it was a really cool place to grow up. It was a small town, so everybody knew who everybody was and what they were up to. But in the same breath, you know, as a young kid, I was able to ride my bike from my house to downtown here. I probably rode right by your office here many times going to get a ice cream cone or something like that. You could live that way as a young kid here, and it was amazing. We have everything here as well, right? We had Mount Ashland. We could learn to snow ski. We had immigrant lake so we'd spend time out there on a boat and on the water and even though racing was something in my mind back then it also just wasn't something that was really happening around here so i grew up in the traditional uh, three sport athlete kind of scenario i played football baseball and basketball and i loved every minute of it i learned so much that i was able to carry forward into my approach into race car driving and it was a good place to be how'd you do in school I was a good student. I took it pretty seriously. Sports were really important to me. So when our coaches had us sign a contract that said, you won't be drinking and partying on the weekend, I took that very seriously into heart. It kept me on a good path. And I knew that I wasn't going to be playing in the game on Friday night if my grades weren't right. And I knew I wanted to go away to college somewhere and have that experience. So it was something I took very seriously. Was your dad doing the carbons the whole time? Yeah, my dad was uh, working really hard at, at that point in life down the road where my office is at TC Chevy. He was also a drag racer, though, so I can't claim to have had no contact with racing until later in life. I was following him around in my youth and enjoying that and looking up to and idolizing him and what he was doing in racing. That all came to an end when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. It was now time for him to look at if he was going to be gone at the races or be coaching my little league team or, or this or that. So he took that path, and that's been a really good example. And that was something I struggled with too. And in, in deciding to go after this professional racing career is what's it gonna take away from? Can I do everything? Can I be the dad that I wanna be and the husband that I wanna be and still chase my dream? Well, Brooke claims that you've been excellent at all those things. <laughs> and uh, I would imagine that your daughters are evidence of that wherever they are in their lives now. How old are those ladies? Well, we've got an 11 year old daughter who's an amazing dancer. Her passion is dance. We have a 17 year old. She's a very gifted musician and a really fast ski racer. She actually can beat me now, which is scary. And we have a 20 year old off of college, always been a very gifted horse rider. She competed jumping fences and doing all that crazy stuff, but then has really kind of found her stride in art and has become a beautiful artist. And how have they integrated into your race life? We're pretty lucky. Everybody enjoys it. Everybody enjoys the travel. There is a lot of cool factor in racing, I think, but I probably have a biased opinion because it, it's what totally you know gets me going. But the girls have enjoyed it and they've got to see a lot of things that I think they wouldn't have seen otherwise. And we had a really close family friend that at one point when we were kind of exploring this, she reminded us that it was okay to all have individual dreams and to chase them, even if it does take you away from each other at different points in time. Because, you know, what could be better than me getting to go be doing my race in Daytona and my other daughter being able to have her ski race in Montana and the other one dancing away, then being able to get together and talk about what an amazing time you had doing your dream. And so that's kind of the approach that we've taken. Everybody's patient with each other and we know that we want to be there for each other as much as we can, yet there just might be times that you can't be and everybody goes on without a strong wife and mother that's invested in that as well, it, it wouldn't happen like it has. So she's been a really great example for the girls and I know she keeps me kind of on track too. I mean, there, there are times where it feels so hard and it's maybe not worth it and is it the right time to throw in the towel? And she'll ask the right questions and tune you back in. And I'm excited to see what she's gonna do next too. I know she's got lots of dreams and desires on top of 
fast life and she always wants to make an impact. So it'll be cool to see what comes next. I share space here with Gary Lundgren, the filmmaker. Oh yeah. And I know you got a little burnout scene in your TC Chevy vet, which he showed me the other day. You had somebody in the car with you who was crapping their pants when you were doing this stunt for the movie. Yes, that was my uh, entry into stunt driving. So that was fun to have that opportunity from Gary and Annie. And who was in the vehicle with you? One of the camera guys that was working there. There was room in the car, no reason for somebody not to get to come have some fun. So hop on in. He looked like he was scared to death. (laughs) Passenger rides are always pretty interesting. There's something just a little bit scarier being in the right seat than the left. How often are you able to take somebody out in your race car? Obviously not during a a race. Yeah, that's one of the more fun things that we do get to do. And being with the team that I'm with, we do a lot of corporate hospitality and entertaining events. So we will do events that are built into our sponsor packages and things where they'll get to bring their employees and guests to the racetrack. We get to do some instruction with them, give them hot lap rides, show them what it's like, and even turn them loose in the race cars in afterwards sometimes. We do a lot of coaching and entertainment stuff, and it is a treat to get to see people's reaction to getting to experience that for the first time. It's usually not at all like what they thought it was going to be. Do you do anything locally here, turning young people on to the potential of this kind of outcome for them? We have done some events down at TC Chevy, like when we had the race cars stop and be on display and show some clips of fast life and things like that. There aren't any real tracks that are real close, but this season I do know we'll have a race up in Portland. So with that being kind of a home state race, we'll probably try to do some type of activity or engagement and get some more people involved. We do also try to use the racing platform for, you know, we we try to do some good with it outside of even what we're doing with Fast Life TV. We work with a couple different nonprofits, make a positive impact where we can. You know, we've worked a lot with uh, Racing for Cancer, raising money for cancer research and working really closely with a couple of kids that we've helped raise money for. We're currently in a campaign that's called the Pictures of Hope Dream Scholarship, where we are giving a full ride four-year college scholarship to a student here in Southern Oregon. So that's a really cool thing that we're involved with. We really believe in education and our hope is that everybody should have access or an opportunity to get a good education. And this partnership has allowed us to spread that around the U.S. So we're excited to bring that here locally. That's super cool. You get to do what you love and it's nice that you're taking the time to hopefully help others get a chance to do what it is that they love. Yeah, we've been extremely blessed. So we hope to be able to help other people experience some of the things that we've been able to. I mean, that's the hope. You went to college? I did. I uh, graduated from Oregon State University. I did a short spell at University of West Florida. I was a I was a professional wakeboarder in kind of that middle gap of life. So that was hard to keep going in Corvallis, Oregon, and ultimately went out to Pensacola, Florida for a couple of years. And that was a fun time in life as well. How'd you meet Brooke? I met her through high school friends. So one of my best friends ended up dating one of her best friends at Oregon State University. The whole time they were kind of uh, being together, they kept saying, hey, Derek, you really need to meet this girl, Brooke, that I went to school with. You guys would be perfect together. And it just never really happened that we didn't cross paths. Our sophomore year, Brooke visited in Corvallis, and I met her briefly for like 10 minutes. And for some reason, I couldn't go out that night, but I never forgot about her after that. And it wasn't until we both graduated, this couple was still together, and uh, we were on a trip down to Lake Shasta. And I said, hey, whatever happened to that Brooke girl? And they said, oh, she moved back to Portland. I said, no, can you get us together? I'm going to come visit Portland and 
like to get together with Brooke. So they set us up on a date. We had a fabulous dinner and hung out with all the friends in Portland for one night, and we were married three months later. Wow. Meant to be. That's right. That's pretty good. The start of the fast life, right? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't waste any time. And your friends knew already. <laughs> they did. They nailed it. We just took too long getting there. Maybe it just wasn't the right time in life to have met. Maybe she wouldn't have liked me when we were sophomores in college. Everything's timing, dude. You know that. <laughs> right? It's about you starting racing. Everything is about timing. Exactly. Your whole job is about timing. This is true. Fast life. How did Brooke decide that this is something that she wanted to do? I think the idea evolved for a long time. I mean, really it started probably 10 years ago because there was a point kind of after I had started to pay dues and do the hobby racing that I actually started a race team with a local family here. And Brooke saw all the crazy work and stuff that was going into that and actually tried to pitch a reality show for network television all the way back then. And again, it was just not the right time, I guess. Warren Miller was involved at one point in trying to find a home for it, and she pitched it to Discovery Channel, and it wasn't the right timing for it to work, but it was all kind of a start of wanting to tell some kind of a racing story. Then as that part of the story kind of ended, and I ended up jumping into an even higher professional level of, of the sport, and with Aston Martin, you know, Brooke, again, was just watching it all happen and seeing the stories and seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff that she just got her camera out and just started capturing it and with the idea that she'd know what to do with it at some point. And just like I said, you know, when she started seeing the people that were paying attention because of the backstory and not so much the racing, I think that's when the light bulb went off of how to put it together and how to present it. And she did start again with the idea that it was going to be something for network television, but it just didn't work. You know, there was never a deal that sounded or felt right. And Brooke's very intuitive and paid attention to those feelings and ultimately just started putting it up on YouTube. And then it was seen by a family friend that had a connection and said, hey, your show's really cool. I think I've got a way to get it on Amazon. You want to work together? And that's that. Perfect. Yeah, here we are. You've got a real show going on. Yeah, it's not just something that everybody can pull off. I keep reminding Brooke of that because, you know, there are times, like I said, there's so much work and she's going like, why am I doing this? And it's like, you have a show on Amazon Prime. This is huge. This is a big accomplishment. Look at some of the, the compliments and people that have been impacted by this. It's a success no matter what happens with it, even if it's not a financial success. It's been a really awesome roller coaster. And again, I say that sitting on this side of the camera. It's been a lot more work for Brooke than it has me. Able to sit there for hours, you know, trimming a tenth of a second off here, a tenth of a second off there. and She's trying to get to the end of the race. She's trying to get there in a certain amount of time. Yeah, exactly. And there is some kind of parallel thing happening between you two. Yeah, it's an awesome partnership. I couldn't have a better partner, that's for sure. She's super sweet, very spiritually grounded, just a loving, amazing, kind person. I mean, really thinking about others. She'll yeah. love hearing that. That's like the ultimate compliment. She's really talking about others and uh, showcasing their lives. That part was really hard for her, actually, getting in front of the camera. And that was some of the feedback that we got in season one was, hey, we want to see a little bit more of you. And so I think you'll see more of Brooke in season two. And it's been good. It's pushed all of us in uncomfortable directions at times. And we grow. Are you in kind of hiatus right now? What's your deal? <laughs> I don't know if there is a hiatus in racing anymore. I mean, the race season goes almost year round and when it ends, it's all about 
negotiating and structuring and getting ready for the next season. My last race was just, you know, December 1st. And then if things go really well, I'll have a race in January in Daytona, but that one's an, an unknown at this point. So we haven't firmly announced what's in store for next year, but I do have the luxury and privilege of knowing that I do have a program in place. I, I will be racing again next year, exactly in what, when, and where is being defined as we speak. How is that determined? You know, most of it really just comes down to sponsors and dollars. I've been lucky enough to have success and I'm with a really great team and they want to keep me there and want me in the car. So they work as hard as they can to, to raise the funds and round up the sponsors to make it happen as they can. And Brooke and I do the same on our side and then everybody meets at the table and says, where can we go? What can we do? What are you doing over there at TC Chevy? What's your job there? Oh, that's a good question. I wear lots of different hats. I think I'm just trying to corral a really good team and I'm lucky enough to have that. I've got just an amazing group of employees that support what I'm doing with the racing. They, I think, enjoy knowing that they're a part of making it happen. And we try to run that dealership like a little family and just try to be a little bit different and be a really comfortable place to come do business and have a little bit of fun while we're at it. And I think it comes through. I was in there, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, returning a car to Enterprise, and you had a couple of very beautiful Corvettes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And to think of, you know, a small town dealership like TC Chevy having all these wonderful high-level Corvettes. We do a lot of Corvette business. I think it's like anything, right? You pay attention to it and you care about it and you're passionate about it. It, it comes through to the consumer and we care about it. It's part of the racing heritage, I think, coming through. So what are your plans for the holidays? You got Christmas coming up. Are you guys hanging out right here? Well, we'll hang out here for a little while. And then we have a family tradition. Just me, Brooke, and the girls, we dash off to the islands for Christmas. And Which island? We'll uh, head over to Maui. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Don't have any other obligations when we're there. We get to just completely focus on each other and have a good old-fashioned family Christmas. That's really smart. Yeah, and it's a lucky little reset for the year, you know? It's really easy to be healthy over there, and we all work out together. We're active and outdoors and kind of ready to hit the ground running, you know, when we get back here just shortly after New Year's. Well, it's been an honor to have you on the show, Derek. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. Many more wins to come. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me and following our path in racing and with Fast Life. And it's a privilege and I've enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll have some cool news to share with what the racing schedule is going to look like for this year. I do know there will be a home state race in Portland in July. So that'll be uh, all announced pretty soon. Fingers crossed for Daytona. What is the actual race? It's the the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. So okay. it's one of the uh, the crown jewels of racing and endurance racing. One of the, I think it's considered in the top five largest sporting events in the world. I've, I've got to race there once. And uh, if the opportunity that's knocking on my door right now comes together, it'll be a really, really big deal. So we're, we're working hard and have all our fingers and toes crossed. How did that race go last time? Um, pretty well, actually. And as I look back and watch the season of Fast Life that has that race, I realize how unprepared I really was. And for it to have gone as well as it did is, is just uh, pure luck or maybe being in the right place at the right time. Ultimately, my car finished eighth place in class and uh, you know pretty much had a flawless race. No big problem. It was good. But uh, I want to be standing on that podium and win one of those Rolexes. That's a big goal. The show is called Fast Life. How do you find that show? Type in Fast Life in your Amazon Prime, it'll pop up, or go to fastlife.tv, that's our website. All right, Derek, what do you say to a racer when they get in their car to go out? You just tell them to send it. Send it. Take care, happy holidays.
Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was great having Derek on. What a super cool guy. Really has the dream going, fully alive. All of them. It sounds like the whole family's doing all those things that they love. It's really fantastic that they're able to not only do it, but capture it, share it, show it, and demonstrate that others can do it if you just put your mind to it. That's it. That's all there is to it. Put your mind to it. Make some activity happen around it. Execute, execute, work at it. Make it so, number one. Always a pleasure to do the show. It's interesting to do it from uh, what I would consider my bedroom here at my parents, the Costanzas, over here at Del Boca Vista Phase 2 of the Mark Gables Retirement Village. I got a senior citizen discount the other day. Yeah, me. That means I'm on the same side with uh, Frank and Estelle Costanza over here. That can't be right. I can't be over there with them. Because if I am, that means I'm one of them. And that just can't be. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. All shows, all the time, can be found at CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, and at my website, Ahrensberg, A-R-I-N-S-B-E-R-G.com. I so appreciate you listening. If you want to support me, I do have a Patreon website. You can become a Patreon member or a Patreon patron. Just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, put in Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg. $5 a month, 12 months, 60 bucks a year, helps me. And most of that money actually goes to other Patreon members. It's not really going in my pocket. It just rolls over to support other artists who are out there trying to do what I'm doing, which is do this and have some kind of gratuitous response that at least supplements other people. So there's that. That's what we're doing here. Catch you next time. To find out more about Derek, visit him online at fastlife.tv. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. I hear Alex Trebek coming from the other room, which is my cue. Uh, it's time for me to go sit on the couch with my mother and watch Jeopardy. Hmm, I like that.